0: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Nutshell Politics. My name is Dr. Justin Kinney, and I am thrilled to be with you guys yet again for a brand new episode. Uh, So what we're going to be talking about today is North Korea. Now, North Korea is a country that we have mentioned on this podcast, I don't know how many times in the past. They seem to pop up in the news a fair amount uh, for a variety of reasons. But what they've been in the news most recently for is a brand new ICBM, which is an intercontinental ballistic missile that they'd recently revealed. And so we're going to be talking a little bit about the missile, what we know about it, but also kind of why it was revealed and the, cir- the circumstances surrounding that, because it's actually a pretty big deal. Uh, it's a huge anniversary in North Korea for their uh, ruling party. And so we're going to talk a little about that as well, who the party is, uh, why this is such a big deal? The events that took place is a big parade, and then the missile that was revealed as part of this. Uh, so let's start by talking about the history here, just a little bit. So the reason they were they're in the news is this big parade that they happened had um, unparalleled is a military parade. So they per- used a lot of military kind of pomp and circumstance. They they frequently do these types of things uh, to reveal new weapons. They kind of march their tanks down the street. But it's also kind of a, just about bragging and showing off their, their newest and latest and greatest technology on the military front. And this is not the first time they've done something like this. Uh, you know, they'll use uh, tanks, other armored vehicles, they'll display rocket launchers, ballistic missiles, they usually use a big, broad range of ballistic missiles that come paraded out. And then, of course, their troops as well who kind of march through the streets doing that uh, famous, I think they call it goose stepping, which is that kind of very punctuated kicking your legs in the air step as you go. Uh, very, very common. Um, and so the North, North Korea does these types of parades a lot. But the reason they actually did one recently, and this is about a week ago now, is because they hit the 75th anniversary of the ruling party in North Korea, which is... Formerly called the Workers Party of Korea (WPK), it's the the current ruling party of North Korea, but is also the founding uh, party of North Korea. This was founded back in like '49 uh, after World War II, when the Workers Party of North Korea and the Workers Party of South Korea merged, and then they they came together and uh, have been basically controlling North Korea ever since. Now, the WPK is actually considered illegal in South Korea, and has been under sanctions from a variety of countries around the world, including the United States, the United Nations, uh, and the European Union. But the WPK has been in charge now in North Korea for 75 years. And so they threw this huge party at the stroke of midnight uh, about, about a week ago, and they held this massive parade. Now, the Workers' Party of Korea is based around a couple things. I think we've actually talked about this a little bit on the podcast in the past, but just to kind of bring bring us back because I think it's been a long time. Uh, the WPK is more or less a leftist imagery group, a lot of ties to communism and those sorts of things, uh, Marxism, Leninism, but it's actually not the quite the same thing even though They see themselves as part of kind of the worldwide socialist movement or the worldwide leftist movement. And there are a lot of similarities. But by and large, they're actually more of a um, cult of personality. There's this idea of Juche or Juche. It's usually actually not translated. They usually don't translate it. But essentially it means something like self-reliance. And it's the official ideology of North Korea. Basically is a cult of personality around the Kim family. And so it's this idea, again, they don't usually translate it, so this is very rough, but it's the idea that man is the master of their own destiny and um, that by, coming, by becoming self-reliant and strong uh, at, the, at the national level, a nation can achieve its true potential that they claim is true socialism. Now, Kim Il-sung, who is the original leader of North Korea and the founder of North Korea, he, he's the one who developed this ideology. And while it was originally kind of just a variant or a spinoff of the Marxism-Leninism that was so popular back then, uh, it did take on a, unique, a uniquely or distinctly Korean mix to it, especially as it started to build up the idea around the, the Kim family. Uh, and so this, this juke or ju- or Juche is the, the primary, actually really the only ideology that's truly allowed in North Korea. But the idea behind it today is more about pushing for uh, North Korean independence, politically, economically, and militarily, self-sustenance, self-reliance, all of these sorts of things. And it's also a very nationalistic movement as well, uh, very high on proclaiming North Korea as as the, the premier country in the world. And but anyway, so, so this party has been around, or has been leading North Korea for 75 years, and we just hit the anniversary of it, uh, and so to mark that anniversary, there was this massive military parade, you know, heavily choreographed, took place right at the stroke of midnight, uh, and it was pretty much, by and large, what you tend to expect from these North Korean uh, performances, you know, huge pomp and circumstance, speeches, marching, missiles, all sorts of things. Uh, so there's a couple of things that stood out, though, that make it a little bit unique that I want to talk about. Uh, and we're going to talk about one of them now, and then we'll do the missile part after after the commercial break. But the first thing I want to talk about is the, the speech that Kim Jong-un shared. Because it was there was a lot of similarities to other speeches he's given, but there was kind of a uniquely emotional aspect to it that may reveal some of the underlying pressures that Kim Jong-un is feeling right now, especially linked to COVID, which we can talk about a little bit, but also a lot of the nuclear sanctions and some of the struggles that his, his country has been undergoing recently. Uh, and so Kim Jong-un frequently gives speeches at these types of ma- major you know, mass events and these sorts of things. And, and so it was no surprise that he gave another one at this huge military parade, but he had a couple comments that I wanted to, to stress because it's just unusual. In particular, he said a couple things. So, one, he he said, uh, and this is translated obviously. He was speaking in Korean, but he said, "Our people have placed trust as high as the sky and as deep as the sea in me, but I have failed to always live up to it satisfactorily." And then he continues and says, "I'm really sorry for that," and that's very unusual because the Kim family, for the most part in North Korea, has been viewed as almost godlike uh, to the point that. If you go there, you frequently will see people, you know, essentially worshiping them. You're almost required to uh, revere them to a certain level, uh, even though they're not quite on the level of gods. They're they're almost to that point. They're kind of deified in a sense. And so to have a a member of the Kim family, much less a, the member right now, the leader of North Korea, apologizing for something, that's that's unusual. It's it's very unusual, very interesting, and. There's another quote too. I'm going to give this and then we'll talk about kind of the analysis of it. But he says, although I am entrusted with the important responsibility to lead this country, upholding the cause of the great comrades Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il, those are his father and grandfather, "uh, thanks to the trust of all the people, my efforts and sincerity have not been sufficient enough to rid our people of the difficulties in their lives. Uh, End quote. Okay, so between that one and the other one about him failing to live up to it satisfactorily and apologizing, actually saying I am sorry for that, Uh, He also had a lot of quotes about things like grave challenges, unprecedented disasters, etc. That is, uh, in my opinion, and we're getting into the analysis on this, I think that's pretty reflective of the stress that he has been under lately. Uh, North Korea has seen uh, its its country struggle mightily over the last six months, uh, especially. Now years of international sanctions have been placed on them because of their nuclear program. Uh, they are various missile programs. They've also had a couple natural disasters over the last decade or so. So there's been a lot of difficulties already. But the COVID-19 pandemic in particular seems to have brought North Korea to its knees in a lot of ways. Now, they claim they have not recorded a single case of the virus. Nobody quite believes that, um, mostly because they they say things like that all the time. Uh, But regardless of how many cases they have or have not had, uh, the borders between them and China, which are really huge for them in terms of economic trade, uh, have been closed. And so the closure of the borders in response to the overall pandemic on the Chinese side has resulted in trade between the two countries falling off dramatically. And so this means that the the economy of North Korea has uh, really suffered as a result of COVID-19 um, because of that. And you, you saw Kim Jong-un really feeling a lot of the pressure then, I think, of this pandemic and the the economic crisis that they're undergoing you know, and what that is putting on his leadership of the country. And uh, there is probably a lot of true pressure, a lot of true stress that he is undergoing, in part due because of the sanctions, in part due because of uh, his country's uh, border closure with China. And so his, his very emotional response highly, highly unusual. Now, that's even unusual for Kim Jong-un. Now, I, I want to I stress this too. Kim Jong-un, of the three leaders that North Korea has seen, is by far the most expressive leader. Uh, and he is the only one really in the past who has acknowledged any sort of shortcomings. But this was the unusual even for him, highly unusual. And that was pro- I mean, again, the, there's obviously a lot of truth and stress and pressure in there as well. I would also argue though that the point of moving it towards the more emotional to begin with is something designed probably to resonate with their domestic audience he more so than his father and much more so than his grandfather as well has been really trying to stress his more human side with the population and trying to show himself as somebody who is competent who cares about the people who's charismatic and somebody who the people can relate to. And so much more so than his predecessors, he has been pushing that direction for a while. And the speech probably served that purpose as well. Uh, again, probably at least in part designed for that and then in part just the stress and the pressure really starting to affect uh, him and his leadership as he is, is struggling through uh, really an un- unprecedented time for the North Korean population uh, as well. Now, Kim also closed the speech by promising to hold his regime much more accountable. Uh, He he says, I'm going to give another quote here, I will ensure that all party organizations, the government and power and military organs make more and more strict demands on themselves, direct strenuous efforts and work with sincerity for our people and for bringing a better tomorrow to them. This is also a little bit unusual, although again, he is much more so down this line than some of his predecessors, but... This kind of promise to make sure that the government itself is uh, sacrificing to be more accountable to the people, again, probably leans more on the side of emphasizing his humanness, uh, creating that, that bond between himself and the domestic population, showing himself as a leader who is a true leader of the people, more so than, say, his father, who is seen as more of the deity. Now, this also then kind of led into the military parade. And we're gonna to get to the missile in just a second, but uh, this military parade on the, the heels of him focusing on the shortcomings kind of flips the script because it, it, now he's focused on the strengths of their country and particularly military strengths here. And so they, they marched through, again, tanks, armored vehicles, troops, missiles and in particular this one massive massive missile and it's carried by a truck with 11 axles on it uh, right kind of at the high point of this multiple hour ceremony that took place in Pyongyang and so we're going to take a quick break just a minute to rest my voice and then we're going to come back on the other side and talk about that missile in particular and what we know about it and what this might mean going forward for North Korea and its relationship to the world so stick with me and I'll be back with you guys in just about a minute. All right, welcome back. Thanks for staying with me through that brief commercial. And we're going to jump right back into this. So uh, before the break, we talked briefly about uh, Kim Jong-un's speech that he gave at this massive 75th anniversary celebration uh, and military parade of the Workers' Party ruling North Korea. So now I want to talk a little bit about the parade itself uh, and kind of the other things kind of ongoing, the military side, with a focus on this brand new, apparently, Uh, ICBM, intercontinental ballistic missile, that was revealed. And because that's actually probably the most surprising part of this. Now, before we get straight to the missile, let's talk a little bit about the rest of the parade um, and the rest of the things kind of surrounding it. As part of the speech, again, just to tie it together, uh, he warned in his speech that he was willing to fully mobilize his nuclear force if he was threatened. But notably, and I really stress notably here, because it usually doesn't go this way. He avoided any sort of direct criticism of the United States and Washington. Uh, could be a softening there on his part, understanding that the United States may be willing to help his people if, if need be, especially with the virus pandemic and everything going on. Not really sure why, but he did avoid uh, directly mentioning DC or Washington or America or anything like that, or Trump. And so one of the things in particular that the South Koreans note and that most of the world starts to note is that there is a new missile on display. Now, they, these military parades happen often enough that people can kind of track what missiles are there, what rocket launchers are there, and just kind of see what's going on. But Kim Jong-un back in January, I think it was, or February, said his regime was working on, quote, a state of the art weapon system possessed only by advanced countries. And was this now nine months later, they reveal this ICBM. Now, this ICBM is thought to be untested, uh, and particularly because uh, Kim Jong Un has maintained his moratorium on testing, they agreed to kind of a detente between North and South Korea and the United States about two years ago. Uh, it, It they clearly have continued their nuclear research, their missile research, but they have not done any testing that we know of. But still, they're widely believed to possess dozens of nuclear warheads and missiles capable of reaching the United States. And this one in particular seems to be Larger than the current missile, the current longest-range missile that we know of, uh, it's a two-stage liquid-fueled ICBM. For those of you who are in nuclear engineering, you know what that means. I'm not going to get into the, too many of the details on that, but it's it's clearly bigger and more powerful than anything that we know about in North Korea's existing arsenal. Especially what this may allow North Korea to do is to mount larger nuclear weapons onto their ICBMs. Uh, it also may allow them to launch multiple warheads on a single missile, which makes uh, defense much more difficult because now you have to take down multiple warheads that may come off of one missile, maybe using kind of pe- like what they call penetration aids to kind of get through the U.S. missile defenses and then then launch the, launch the warhead. So this display, let's say, of the missile is of historic magnitude. But the question is why, why display it? Because... Displaying something of this this level makes you wonder about what risk they're taking as well. Because, as as several actually analysts have mentioned, this may put himself and his people at risk. Because if say the coronavirus gets worse and worse, you know its healthcare system is considered to be one of the worst in the world. They're going to be looking outside for assistance, and to display such a brazen attempt at missile threat is is something that's potentially could be a, a pretty big unforced error on their part. Uh, my guess is that he was trying to balance out the, the more negative tone that he had taken in his speech by displaying the strengths of the country, you know, admitting that they have flaws in some areas and shortcomings, but flipping it on its head and saying, but here we are. Militarily, we are as, as good as anyone in the world. And in particular, this missile was, was so notable because it was, it's probably the largest weapon. Uh, I say the largest liquid fueled missile anywhere in the world. I mean, in terms of its in terms of being like road mobile and being ta- being able to be taken on a truck. Uh, sorry, on a truck. I mean, it's huge. and just absolutely massive. Um, this bigger weapon then would, in theory, allow North Korea to get even more warheads over mainland United States with just a single launch of this weapon. Now, going into this parade, the thought was that they might be releasing something new. I mean, we kind of had suspected this for a while, especially going back to January when he said they were working on things. The 75th anniversary would be a huge uh, moment to display something like that. But most people expected it to be something along the lines of a solid-fueled missile. Uh, Solid-fueled missiles offer some uh, advantages over the liquid ones because they can move without needing fuel trucks to go with them. So they can be hidden more easily because you don't need as many trucks around them, they can be launched faster. So this liquid-fueled massive, massive rocket was a bit of a surprise to pretty much most of the world But this is a missile that is still of pretty major concern to the world for a couple different reasons. Uh, And I want to kind of focus on this for the rest of the episode. Primarily, there's a couple things here. Well, hang on back up. So there's a couple things here. Uh, North Korea has tested ICBMs before. There was the Hwasong-14, which was tested in 2017, and the Hwasong-15, also tested in 2017, uh, that both had ranges that could reach... A good chunk of the the u.s mainland the hwasong 15 was thought that it could deliver a nuclear warhead pretty much anywhere on the U, in the u.s this new one is again same type of fuel system but it's greater length greater diameter than than the hwasong 15 so the idea here is that it may be able to go further carry more now until the engines on that are revealed or any sort of test is carried out we probably aren't going to know its exact range um but the, the design on this carries with it a pretty major message that North Korea does not have any need to f- focus on increasing the range of their missiles anymore. They can reach everywhere that they would want to possibly reach, which means that they are moving to a different stage of their uh, nuclear or military research, focusing on launching multiple warheads through one missile. That means that their research is changing. And I think that's, a, that's what the signal here is about for the most part. Let's, let's say you have uh, one missile that launches multiple nuclear warheads. The US missile defense system is set up in a way that for each incoming warhead, multiple interceptors need to be launched. So if you have multiple warheads coming from one missile, that makes it very, very complicated and very difficult to intercept each one. You might be able to catch a couple, but intercepting multiple ones like that is something that we didn't realize North Korea was was capable of at this point. There are other states that have very advanced nuclear weapons that have kind of multiple independent what they call re-entry vehicles or MIRVs. MIRVs. And now North Korea, because they've pretty much maxed out the range that they need, they're communicating this message that they're now working on the multiple warhead issue. Uh, and this creates some some major concern for the United States and also the rest of the world. Uh, there are some design questions here, you know, in terms of When it's going to be tested, when it will be deployed, what it's truly capable of in terms of range and things like that. Some of the details that haven't been worked out. But one of the biggest constraints on the nuclear ability in North Korea is the number of launchers that they have. Um, Because you can only launch as many missiles as you have launchers. And the thought here is that North Korea can launch about 12 ICBMs at most the hypothesis here is based on the idea of you know if, if they launched one like they have six known launchers that we know about each launch one scrambled to very quickly launch a second one before getting retaliated so 12 was kind of the max that they have but this parade represents the, ver- the first time that we've ever seen more than six heavy-duty transporter trucks in action you know they're heavily modified um we, we know back in 2010 they illegally imported six of these heavy duty trucks from China and mounted them with, um, or modified them, I should say, with some, some pretty serious hydraulics to transport and erect their ICBMs. Uh, and so we have always thought, you know, those are the six they have. But this parade represents the first time we've actually seen more than six involved. Um, and so the thought, well, there's a couple of things. Where, where did they get the other trucks from? But then also it's it's very clear that North Korea is, is still able don't know how, but still able to get components for more heavy-duty launchers and heavy-duty trucks to, to move these ICBMs despite the massive sanctions and the export controls that we have placed on them. That in and of itself is a real concern because this has been a year of a massive struggle for a lot of the world uh, because of COVID and everything. And so the fact that they produced an ICBM in a year of major struggle like this, of that size... And they're somehow still able to get components for heavy-duty launchers through these trucks. That's a message that I think the the rest of the world, and particularly the United States, needs to be very focused on. Putting weapons on, on parade like this is essentially a low-risk way for North Korea to send a message to the rest of the world. Conducting a test launch would be you know, more of a, a direct message, but you know it might provoke a country to respond. But putting on a parade like this is a way for them to kind of display their capabilities without actually having to display their capabilities. So North Korea putting these on display in a way that the rest of the world is going to see is a message that they want the rest of the world to know. And so when we look at the new things that we've come out of this, new missile, bigger, stronger than anything they have had before, new trucks, which means new components for launching. In a year where there's been massive sanctions placed on them, they really shouldn't be able to get their hands on these things, means that they still have some channels that they're able to use despite the strict regulations that have been placed on them by the United States and the rest of the world. So just in kind of conclusion, this the missile and the parade are kind of the big news of this anniversary celebration, things to be very, very concerned about. But the speech that Kim gave is also a unique element that you just don't really see much. Um, As I said, Kim, in in contrast to his father and grandfather, is certainly much more connected to the people. You know, he's actually taken his wife uh, to political summits, which his predecessors never did. He likes to go around hug children. He mingles with people at public appearances. It's much more of kind of a folksy, human approach that uh, his father and grandfather never did. He's much more personally present at some of these things. And so even though he is much more on the expressive side. This speech was still unusual because it admitted shortcomings, he apologized, and I think that in and of itself says a lot about the the country at the moment as well as Kim's priorities. Despite all that, we need to be very cautious approaching him in that manner uh, because despite some of these moves to be more of a people person, uh, he still has a pretty brutal side Um, quashing a lot of basic political human rights and political freedoms. There's prison camps, you know, there's essentially a big brother, massive surveillance program of the citizens. Uh, Kim had his uncle executed. He had his half brother assassinated. And of course, this continued push with the nuclear power is something that stresses that he really has two sides to him. Uh, One is this human emotional expressive side that he shows to the people in speeches. And then one is the massive military side uh, and the the brutal, brutal human rights violating side that he sh- shows to anybody who disagrees with him and speaks out ag- against him in the country or tries to escape or really does anything that upsets him and his, his power and his party. Uh, but with that, I think we're just about at the end of this episode. I know this was a little bit on the shorter side today, but I thought it was a really interesting uh, move by North Korea to To have this parade in the way that they did, I mean, everybody was expecting something, but it, this was a really unprecedented variety that sh- you know, this monster ballistic missile, and then kind of the unusually emotional and apologetic speech from their leader. Both, I think, stand out in ways that need to be cautiously approached and concerned with, but also things that we can learn about them. Uh, so. If you're interested in getting in contact with me, talk about this episode or anything else, or you have ideas for future episodes you want me to cover, you can reach out to me on Twitter. My username is R underscore Kinney. Find me there, hit that follow button, I'd be happy to talk with you more about this or anything else uh, international relations related. Uh, You can also hit me up there too if you're interested in supporting the podcast, supporting me in any way, advertising on the podcast, anything along those lines, you can find me there. Uh, I do also have a Patreon account you can check out too. But if you're not a Twitter person, not a Patreon person, but you still want to reach out and contact me, you can find me on Facebook as well. My username there is J. Robert Kinney. That's the name I use to write fiction novels. I have two mystery novels out and a third that's getting close to being released that's where i'll post a lot of my author things but you can also reach out to me there about the podcast or really anything else you want to talk about so find me on facebook and hit that like button as well but with that let's go ahead and shut things down for this week's episode my name is dr justin Kenny. this is nutshell politics and i am out in three two one yeah.